how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to The Colin and Samir Show. Colin, what are we talking about today? Man, today we are recapping a crazy year for creators. We're going to give you the top 10 moments from creators, in our opinion, at Mm -hmm. least. And listen, they might not be the same top 10 that you have, so we're open. We're open. We'll listen to what you guys have to say. I'm, I'm not. Colin's not open. This is like the definitive top 10 for him. But if you guys have other thoughts, tweet them at us or post them in our subreddit, r slash Colin and Samir. Let us know what you thought were some of the biggest moments of the year. This feels like a holiday special. You know what I mean? I guess it is. It's like at the end of the year, we're being reflective. We're talking about the gift of creators. You just love the holidays. I I do too. I'm not going to sit here and be the Grinch. The holidays. Okay. Now, the day this is coming out, Monday, December 12th, is one of the last days to purchase our latest merch drop and receive it in time for Christmas. So we wanted to offer a code to all of you, Pod Squad. That's the code. That's P-O-D-S-Q-U-A-D. Nice. Yeah, all one word, presspublish.shop. That's where the merch drop is. It's our brand new collection. I'm, I'm really excited about this one. It has totally new colors. We spent a lot of time on the exact products that we wanted to launch. And um, what's really cool is like the one that we were all the most excited about, which was the two-tone hat in royal and cream is by far the top seller, which is super cool to see. Like we, we were able to like see something and be like, that's a good looking hat. We all love that. We're authentically excited about it. And then that matches with all of your excitement. And that's, that's exciting to me. I feel like we have that experience with video, but with tangible product, it's really cool to see that result. So the merch drop is live, presspublish.shop. That's where you can go check it out. You know, today and probably like early this week is kind of like the last few days you can get it and receive it in time for the holidays. So if you want to go check that out. And again, you have a code for all of you guys, Pod Squad. Now, if you don't want to pay for the merch, if you're like Colin and Smear, there's got to be another way. I got to be able to get this merch without putting in my credit card, right? Right. There is another way that you can get the merch, and that is through our referral program for the Published Press, which is our newsletter about creator economy news. We send it three times a week. And if you want the merch, you can refer people to sign up for the newsletter. And there's actually a bunch of different prizes and things that you can get. Okay. So if you refer five people, you get a pack of stickers. If you refer 20 people, you get a published press hat. If you refer 40 people, a t-shirt, and at 60 referrals, a crew neck. Now there is one more thing, Colin. If you refer 1,000 people to sign up for the published press, you will get an oversized button that will actually publish your videos. And it is a one of one. We made it in collaboration with a creator named Maddie from Unnecessary Inventions. It is a one of one, and that's why it's going to be a thousand emails, a thousand signups to get it. There's another reason, which is that we really don't want to part ways with it. We love it so much. We were going back and forth with our team about how many referrals you need to get to actually have us ship you this one of one publish button. And we were like, it's got to be a thousand. And they were like, a thousand? They were like, what about 500? And I was like, no, 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 no. We, 
it has to be a thousand because if you really, if you want to take this from us, you got to go earn it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, okay. Last thing on this referrals thing. If, if you want to be a part of the referral program, sign up for the newsletter, the published press, it's at the bottom of all the sends that we send out. You can go to the referral hub there, but we have a leaderboard too. Vince right now, I'm not going to say his last name, but Vince is at the top of the referrals. He's got 70 so far. That means he's collected everything he could collect up until the publish button. Is Vince going to take it to a thousand, Cone? I actually hope not. <laughs> Quite 70, frankly. 70 in the first week of the referral program. Vince is a real rock star. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, good, good job, Vince. Good job, Vince. Yeah. All right. So merch is live. Referral program is live. You can either go purchase the merch at Presspublish.shop, or you can join the referral program by signing up for our newsletter, The Publish Press. We'll put those links in the description of this pod. And now let's get into the top 10 moments, in our opinion, from this year. What do you think, like, one word to describe this year was? Is that too much? Yeah, come on. Uh, the first word that came to mind was chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say explosive. Yeah. I felt like this year was really explosive in our industry. I feel like we saw creators do things that we had never seen creators do before. I feel like we saw creators enter the mainstream in ways that we hadn't seen before. And almost this level of acceptance that there's not that big of a divide anymore between creators and celebrities or entrepreneurs. I think that to me, like this, this explosion of creators coming onto the mainstream coming into the scene and being like, we are legitimate businesses, we're legitimate entertainers, we're legitimate entrepreneurs. There was also a lot of experimentation this year. Like, this was not a year where everyone just went with the meta, the overall meta of what was happening. It was not about the status quo. There were creators who were really pushing the boundaries and doing interesting and different things. Mm -hmm. I, I think even the fact that we can look at YouTube's top 10 videos of the year look at our impression of what the top 10 things were from the year, have those be different and have honestly, all of you guys probably think about your top 10 moments and have those be different. I feel like when we first started on YouTube 10 years ago, like there were clear distinctions of like, what were the biggest moments? That also is a lot of why YouTube had rewind. You know, YouTube rewind was really clear because it was like, these were the biggest things. And then as rewind got more and more challenging for YouTube to make, a lot of it was because there was disagreement from the community of like, those weren't the biggest moments, YouTube, you know? And it's, it's because the space got so big that all of that has gotten subjective to whatever pocket of the internet you hang out on. Yeah, it is an almost impossible task, but we're going to try and do it right now. So let's start at the top of the year. We're going to go chronological throughout all of these moments. Number one, Logan Paul and KSI launch Prime on January 5th, 2022. This was a huge moment. I don't know if you remember, but they faked everyone out. Mm -hmm. They did a live stream on Instagram and Instagram live, and they faked as if they were going to launch something in crypto, well, which first, felt very stereotypical for that time. Yeah. First, they actually released like boxing posters. Oh yeah. True. Yeah. First they released boxing posters. So it looked like that was the trilogy, like they were going to fight again. And that was also exciting. Then they seemed a little too friendly. Man, I, I love you, and I don't want to fight you anymore. Mm. Oh, for real? Yeah, man. I, I don't feel. I don't. I don't feel like doing that again. Then they talked about launching an NFT, and then they came up with Prime. We have created our own drink company. Yes. <laughs> ladies, and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. 
Prime hydration. I remember first seeing the bottle of Prime and being like, that looks a little corny. Like, just okay, too simple. Sure. That was my initial you know, opinion. Whatever. And as I reflect on this, like, let's think about Prime launched in January. It's December. Let's talk about what they've done this year in collaboration together. When I think of Prime, the first thing I think about is their marketing strategy. The fact that via Twitter, via Instagram, they have been incredibly active memeing basically themselves, mm -hmm. memeing other companies like Gatorade. They have found a way to stay relevant and a part of the culture via really low barrier to entry posts, like things on Twitter sure. and Instagram. You think about even the fact that Prime was sold out and kids were starting to sell it in schools. Yeah. Right. And, and marking up the price, selling it on eBay, that became a story in itself that was shared around Twitter or shared around Instagram. I think beyond that, you know, because it's Logan, if it was Logan alone, I think it's very different. When you add in KSI, what's interesting, we made an episode about KSI this year where we talked about how his community is made up of people who are creating content for him to react to. And I think that brought this energy of people wanting to create content with Prime. There was YouTube videos that went crazy viral of people making commercials for Prime. So it was the first time that we saw, you know, I think this year we saw a lot of creators take on big industries, but with Logan Paul and KSI collaborating, I think it's one of the first times we've seen two mega creators come together on a project, on like a product launch. And I think what they recognize, and we talked about this in the video we made about them, is like they saw the success when two mega creators came together in boxing, when they were opposition. But what if they came together and had a collective enemy? And they built that collective enemy with Gatorade. And they said, we're going up against this behemoth. Now, all of a sudden, you have both fan bases really excited, and they have a collective enemy in Gatorade. And that's like, like there was, I saw TikToks of people going to grocery stores and replacing all the Gatorades with Prime. You see, you know, people writing Gatorade sucks on, on, on their, on like mm -hmm. Instagram and, and Twitter. And I think this is important because we will hopefully see more of these collaborations. I've always thought it was so interesting that creators would launch merchandise or apparel by themselves when there could be such a big opportunity for like three or four creators to come together and launch a merchandise brand. And this is that example. Yeah, I think by banding together, they are able to cover more ground. And it's a shared narrative across their fan bases, which they already had a shared narrative. Mm -hmm. So you have Prime showing up in all of their content on Impulsive, whenever they're boxing. Really, at any time, they're holding Prime. It's almost comical how often they're mm -hmm. holding it. So from creator to audience, they're sharing the brand. Then you have audience-to-audience -audience interactions where people are actually creating content about the brand not necessarily for Logan and KSI, but for other community members mm -hmm. to react to. And then on top of that, it's paired with this strategy for new audience, which is really rare, where they are sponsoring Arsenal, the football team. This is crazy to be like a fan from young to be able to bring Prime into Arsenal, like have a partnership, dream come true. Yeah, that's They're crazy. doing things for mass distribution. They're showing up in Walmart, mm -hmm. right? That's like, we only really see those types of things with the biggest of the big creators and their businesses. I mean, from January 5th to March 28th, this year, Prime sold 10 million bottles. I mean, that's like, 
that's a mind-boggling number. Um, they've also launched new products. They recently launched hydration sticks and um, new flavors. And th the last thing I'll say about Prime is that the product is good. Like, it tastes good. Whenever we have it in our office, it's gone within, like, a few days. We had the hydration sticks, and I went yesterday to go grab one, and they're all gone. Like, the, it, this product is good. And I think that is... Um, really important that like we've moved a pretty long way from merch and moved well into this world of like these guys launched a legitimate sports drink brand mm -hmm. and again like like you mentioned like they're able to put it everywhere with ksi he has misfits boxing which is a boxing promotions company prime is in the ring it's a sponsor of all of that so like they've they've done something pretty incredible with prime and i would say expect to see more of that in 2023 if, if creators can find ways to agree upon ownership and equity and, and let their egos down a little bit to say, I'm going to share this brand with another creator or a group of creators, we're going to build massive brands out of the creator economy. So I'm just reading here in October, Prime said they'd already sold over a hundred million bottles. Damn. And in the episode we made about it this year, we said that we predicted that a company like PepsiCo, which owns Gatorade, may acquire Prime eventually mm -hmm. for over a billion dollars. It could happen. Feels like it could happen. Uh, it feels extremely realistic. By the way, I think in our episode, we said 10 billion, but it's not out of character, you know? Could happen. All right, February. Let's jump to February. Chicken shop date. February at number two, we have Louis Thoreau times chicken shop date. Chicken shop date is the interview show hosted by Amelia de Moldenberg. This episode with Louis Thoreau came out on February 18th, 2022. Does this sound familiar? I like it when you jiggle, jiggle. It, uh, wait, what's the- We could just play the clip. Okay, just play the clip. I won't sing it. My money don't jiggle, jiggle. It folds. I like to see you wiggle, wiggle for sure. It makes me want to dribble, dribble. You know, riding in my Fiat, you really have to see it. Six feet two in a compact, no slack. But luckily the seats go back. I got a knack to relax in my mind. I'm sipping some red, red wine. Now, Amelia's show as a whole is fantastic. She was nominated this year at the Streamies for show of the year. I think like she's a very strong contender for that. She she really, I feel like jumped onto the YouTube scene and like dominated this year with amazing interviews and just like a great vibe, a great character. But this moment took over in a way that I think was just like, I mean, it's it's, it's we still have the residual effects of this now of people still playing this song, dancing to it. Let's talk about how this song came to be. So Amelia, on an episode with Louis Thoreau, asked uh, a question, If asked him to recite a rap that he had. And he recited it. It got remixed uh, by music producers Duke and Jones. And that remix was used on TikTok an unbelievable amount of times. Six million TikToks. Can you remember any of the rap that you did? My money don't jiggle, jiggle. Folds. I like to see you wiggle, wiggle, for sure. It makes me want to dribble, dribble, you know, riding in my fear. You really have to see it. Six million TikToks is crazy. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing Shakira dance to it uh, th that like went really viral. Uh, but these guys, Duke and Jones, I'm pretty sure their goal was to make a song a day, right? Yeah, so they were making a song a day and they just happened upon this one, which is so crazy that this is the one that hit. And I think this really represents this this world of like remixing and 
taking what already exists and creating out of that, like creating cultural moments out of stuff that already exists. Jason Derulo even made a version of the song, which he's like the king of figuring out what's hot in culture and turning it into his thing. Jason Derulo. My money don't jiggle, jiggle. I like to see you wiggle, wiggle. For sure. It makes me want to dribble, dribble. You know, riding in my... <laughs> and I think like, as we look forward, I do think a lot of people, you saw this with Drake, a lot of people are intentionally creating for social platforms. Even like you think about Taylor Swift with this, it's, it's me, me, I'm the problem, it's me. Like, did she know maybe in advance, like that's gonna hit, you know, like that'll work. People will make TikToks out of that. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, lyrics many times can be inherently visual. Yeah. But it does seem like it would be a smart move if you're a musician to be very intentional about yeah. the visuals that could go along with your song. I mean, I know- brought this up before, but Olivia Rodrigo, there was a, a song that she made where she said she was very intentional about the lyrics so that people could take part on TikTok. Yeah. And like remix it. And yeah. And be it, a yeah. part of the process. I wanted it to go, um, I wanted there to be like a little like thing in it. Cause I wanted people to make TikToks where they could like transition into it. And I thought that if there's a little thing that would like be a cue and people did make TikToks like that. So I'm really happy about that. I, I mean, we had lunch with Amelia this year and like, this was not her intention when she asked Louis Thoreau that question. She, I mean, she had no intention of it, of it exploding like that. Um, and it was an older episode for her. So it is really cool that like what's happening is you have people creating content and then like other people remixing it. And people are making careers out of remixing other people's content, which in sometimes is like, can be frustrating if you're a YouTube creator and people are just cranking out shorts based on your content and making their own careers out of it. And in other times it's increasing your distribution like substantially. I mean, this is probably what really, I mean, it's definitely Amelia's most viral moment. And I think about this even in the context of, I, I stumbled across a short the other day of me speaking Hindi to Mr. Beast. It had 18 million views. Mm -hmm. And you think about this world of like, everyone on the internet is a creator now. Audiences are creators. So like the audience is watching this, but they're also now able to create out of it. And you have these musicians who create something out of it. And then all these 6 million people create something from it. So we're all living in this world of like, we're all creators, even if we're audience members. That's a really cool moment. And for me, I think one of the best takeaways about Amelia and her show Chicken Shop Date is that she's been doing this for a really long time. And she started with rappers and musicians that I'm sure you've never heard of. Yeah. And just by quantity, uh, by word of mouth, gaining trust with musicians, she's gotten to the point where she now has huge artists and celebrities on her show. Mm -hmm. And she's essentially built hot ones independently from the ground up. Yep. Okay. Right. Number three, we have Andrew Callahan's video titled War in Ukraine. This came out April 13th, 2022. We're going to a shelter now in the uh, press building. That was uh, genuinely pretty fucking uh, terrifying. Now, the war in Ukraine started in February. What was really interesting was that videos on YouTube about creators going to Ukraine or covering Ukraine really started to come out in March and April. Mm -hmm. And it was a really unique thing that we've never really seen what happens when creators have access to a country in the midst of war. Yeah, and, and I think what was really interesting, and we made a video about this, was the difference between how Andrew covered the war in Ukraine and how the traditional news covered the war in Ukraine. 
And I think that shift from like, where is your trusted source is something that substantially has happened this year. I mean, I think Twitter is, is also like what we're seeing play out on Twitter right now is also a part of that. But, you know, watching Callahan go there and talk to the real people on the ground and he barely speaks. He's essentially using his platform and his microphone to allow the people who are going through the thing to speak. And we contrasted this in the intro of that video where we showed like the news, how much the anchors are speaking and, and kind of curating and telling you the story of what's happening there uh, versus Andrew's video, which is the people on the ground, people who are living the war are telling you the experience there. And the reality of like you getting to be there and see it and feel it. I think it's like, it was a big moment for YouTube, also a big moment for Andrew Callahan um, to showcase that. And I think as, as like audience members, as the community on YouTube, like we want and crave more realness in our news. And what's wild is that YouTube creators can bring that to us. Yeah, that, that was the real takeaway for me was that someone like Andrew Callahan with a very small team could go and make something that was hugely impactful. Yeah. That was really high up on YouTube trending that gave you this really unique stripped down look at what the lives of the people were actually like. And again, like you said, he's not telling you what's happening. Yeah. He's showing you. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful. And the 24-hour <laughs> news cycle does not have the ability uh, to move with the type of flexibility mm -hmm. or to let their pieces breathe in the way that creators can. Yep, totally. There's different incentive structures too. Like, you know, with news being on 24-7, like they have to fill every hour with programming. With Callahan, it's like, he's got to go make a really good video. You know, it is, it is really different styles of journalism. Um, now, I also want to acknowledge that Yes Theory uh, went out to Ukraine when the war started and they raised a ton of money from their community, or, or like around $800,000 and brought, um, they were able to bring like supplies across the border in Ukraine for families there. And I think that creators using their platforms to, you know, have access to audiences who care and are trying to figure out how to help in these situations. Like, what do I do? And having these tribe leaders like Yes Theory or, or even Callahan kind of inform you about what's going on and what to do. I do think like this represents that shift of audiences wanting to turn to creators for uh, these big world moments and ask them, you know, what do I do in this situation? Okay, number four, we're now moving to May 2nd, 2022. This is Emma Chamberlain and Jack Harlow's viral Met Gala moment. Well, I'll see you in there. Can't wait. Love you. Bye. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, you know, Emma has done this before where she was the host for Vogue at the Met Gala. But I feel like this moment paired with her announcing on her podcast that she was taking a break from YouTube kind of moved her into a different level of mainstream celebrity. And this moment went wildly viral. I think the video itself is 4.4 million views. I'm sure way more on TikTok and Instagram. And that got her on Fallon. Welcome to the show. And I remember that on Fallon, he barely talked about her being a YouTuber, right? Yeah, that was the thing. He did not refer he, to her as YouTuber Emma Chamberlain. He just said Emma Chamberlain. And I think that goes back to the top of the show where I was talking about like, this was a year where we started to see creators experience 
um, the jump into just being accepted as like entertainers, you know? And like Emma Chamberlain this year, I think from this moment on has been accepted as just a celebrity. Like there's no like YouTuber Emma Chamberlain. It's just Emma Chamberlain. She's just a celebrity. Yeah, I think a lot about Haley Bieber's YouTube channel because mm-hmm. she uploads pretty frequently and has a series yeah. there, but no one would ever say YouTuber or creator no. Haley Bieber, right? And I think Emma is at that level too, where her name just stands for celebrity, someone that's very well known. I think it's actually, it was something I thought about the streamies because Haley Bieber was nominated for a streamie for crossover of the year, meaning like a celebrity who crosses over into the digital world. But it's like, isn't all celebrity created digitally now? Like what what celebrity is is not? Is it just suggesting like if you're on the big screen, that's created non-digitally? Because you're probably also yeah. posting on Instagram. You know, like it's it's a very tough thing to say of even that way, you know, from, from traditional celebrity to digital creator. But I, to me, this moment was very much like Emma Chamberlain is a celebrity now. And you see everything she's done since then. You just follow her on Instagram or even look at her YouTube videos. She's like, at high fashion events, she's, you know, she's comfortable on late night. I remember texting um, our agent, Allie, who's also Emma's agent, after she was on Fallon and just being like, she was so natural there. And mm-hmm. so just like, she felt like she she was belonged there on Fallon. And I thought that was really, really amazing to see. I think too, if you know anything about YouTube and how to be a YouTube creator, you look at her channel and realize that she's not following trends. Her videos move really slow. My coffee machine broke probably three weeks ago, which sucks, but it's also a fun excuse to like go out and get coffee every morning, which honestly I do enjoy. I do like the experience of going to a cafe and you know, you know, enjoying it and all that. Her thumbnails are not what you would probably pick if you wanted to optimize Mm -hmm. for the algorithm. She truly has gotten to kind of this post-platform part of her career and even mentality. And she's spoken about this on, on Anything Goes, her podcast, which actually just signed on to be exclusive with Spotify. It's like the third, uh, third most third listened most to listen new pod in yeah. the US. Mm-hmm. But she's gotten to a point where YouTube is not her identity. It is a distribution platform for her art, for her personality. Mm-hmm. And she's not beholden to an every week upload schedule. She just puts things out when she feels like it. Yeah, I think what's interesting is we're starting to see the evolution of creators and Emma's evolution from, you know, vlogger into podcaster and celebrity is a really interesting one. Like the most regular form of Emma Chamberlain now is on Spotify. That's a really interesting, you know, thought as we start evolving. And like, she's now there on Instagram and showing up in like traditional celebrity events and like through like high fashion shoots and whatnot. So it is a really interesting evolution, and I do think it will continue to see that trend of creators making the jump. You know, I think back to Logan Paul, he's like WWE star. Perched gracefully on the top rope, here comes Logan Paul. Oh, he lands in He's like jumping and doing acrobatics at SummerSlam and WWE, and like, do I think Logan Paul's back on track to becoming like a The Rock type character? Yes. Like, I think he might be in action movies in in five years and we'll all just accept him as Logan Paul, the celebrity. You know, I don't think people will be like, oh, like, Ayo, Logang, what's popping? I don't think people do that anymore anyway. No one does that anymore? Just you. Do you remember that? Yeah, just you. Do you remember that? Going strong with the Logang over Ayo, here. Ayo, Logang, what's popping? Oh, 
Good morning, little gang. What's poppin'? I mean, he did it way more intense than yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, number five. We have Nico Omolana's video, I Pranked the Most Racist Man in America. This is America's Most Racist Man. And this is the story of how I found this man and tricked him into giving me an interview. Released on May 13th, 2022. It has 35 million views. He travels from the UK to Arkansas where he meets Thomas Robb, who is an alleged KKK leader. And... It is one of the most gripping mm -hmm. YouTube videos I've ever seen. I think it did land close to number one or number one on trending. Oh, I think it was definitely number one on trending. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the edge of your seat as this cradle, as this creator, cradle, cr cradle lacrosse. Yeah. <laughs> as this creator infiltrates mm -hmm. uh, and goes behind the scenes, it felt like to me what Vice always wanted to be. Yeah. Right? It, Where they were like did. sending correspondence mm -hmm. in dangerous situations, except this was. A creator with, again, a very small team, not backed by a big company. It was him and a filmer. Him and a filmer doing yeah. something that's extremely high risk, but ended up being really high reward mm -hmm. and was just fascinating. And I think brought up a lot of interesting like conversation around racism in America. Because he also went to a place that is considered the most racist town in America and was actually met with not a lot of racism there then went to go find this guy and and started to recognize like i think there was an undertone of like hatred is really loud but it's it's like a very select few people who are you know expressing it mm -hmm. this also reminded me of Ali G did you ever watch the Ali G show not really honestly damn i used to watch that show like every week and basically sasha baron cohen who plays Borat. That's where the character Borat came from. It's nice. He would go to these places as different characters and he would sit with people and essentially get them to say things that were really absurd because he was this absurd journalist. Does you think that Saddam's ever was able to make these weapons of mass destruction or, whatever, or as they is called BLTs? Could he make BLTs? Yes, at one time he was using BLTs on the Kurds in the north. To me, this is exactly what Nico did. Nico went in there as this character and got Thomas Robb to say things and open up and show his personality in a way because Nico played a character. And if you go back and watch the Ali G show, that is exactly what was happening. I really think that what we're seeing on YouTube right now is all recycled formats or... Um, you know, innovations based off of what was happening before. I think we see this with Eric, um, you know, feeling like what he's making is essentially the MTV shows that I used to watch when I was younger. What Nico is making is inspired off of Vice and probably Ollie G. But the way, the reach that these can have now, like 35 million views, the reach that these have compared to when they were on MTV or on HBO is substantial. And I think the conversation that they can bring is, is also substantial. I don't know if that was Nico's intent when he went into this. He might've just thought, that's a great title. It's going to explode. But it does, like when I watched it, just as an American, I was like, oh, wow, that's really interesting and brings up interesting conversation around the people who are still around that that hold on to some of the early roots of America, you know? And, and, and especially someone from the UK's perspective on America. Yeah, for me, this was a little bit of uh, an awakening that I was going through about UK creators in general. Mm. You know, we already mentioned Amelia from Chicken Shop Date and now Nico, like 
I think about Max Fosh, KSI, we mentioned the UK and London specifically seems like it has become this incredible hotbed for top creators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the Sidemen, like Sidemen, Sidemen charity match that happened. They like, filled an entire stadium. Yeah, that like, was incredible. Yeah. Uh, it just feels like uh, there's so much energy coming out of London, maybe more actually than New York and LA. It feels like it is kind of the premier creator destination in the world. That might be right. That's a strong statement, but I, I think I agree with you. Even like the the brain trust calls that we do, you know, the weekly calls we do with creators, my group is actually primarily UK creators. It's really interesting. I never thought about that, but yeah, I think, I mean, I think Max Fosch is another great example that you mentioned, but yeah, interesting. I think how the UK creators have appealed to an American audience is really interesting. And this is a great example of that. But yeah, I think Nico, uh, beyond this, you know, Nico has made a lot of videos this year that have really exploded and and done it in a way uh, that is that is beyond, you know, like he, he's experiencing real life. He's not he's not doing like a enclosed challenge or stunt that's like manufactured stakes. These are real stakes. He's actually there with a KKK leader. And, you know, like these are real stakes. That's why it's so gripping. Now to close the loop with where we started, Nico also made a video this year where he got into a huge prime suit, a bottle that was like a mascot suit oh, of yeah. prime yeah. and snuck into KSI's fight without yeah. KSI knowing that, was so that fun. he was in there. It's a really fun video. Yeah. And again, that's a situation to bring it back to prime where we started this episode where they're a part of the creator economy conversation mm-hmm. and they're getting all of this essentially like organic free marketing because they've become a character in the universe. In a way that Gatorade is not. No, yeah. And some of their competitors. Most brands just cannot be characters in this universe. Yeah. All right. That's five moments right there. Buckle up because we got five more. So number six, as we get into the summertime, I really feel like this is the story that dominated the summer. You know how there was always a song of the summer? Yeah. Like Call Me Maybe. Right. Was the song of the summer. Great song. This next creator was the creator of the summer. For sure. June 1st, starting it off, 2022, Ryan Trahan's Penny Series. This is a penny, and I'm going to use it to cross America in the next 30 days. Ryan Trahan creates a daily vlog for an entire month where he goes from L.A. to eventually deliver a penny to Mr. Beast mm-hmm. in North Carolina. Yeah, and what was really great about this series is that it played into, like, the YouTube meta, which means, like, what's hap- what happened on YouTube this year? Like, a lot of people made content about Mr. Beast. Us included. And challenge videos. And challenge videos, right? So I'm going to do a challenge that's connected to Mr. Beast. And if you don't know, I'm I'm sure you did watch it, but he had to start with a penny and make enough money to get himself across the country. And he was raising money for Feeding America. And there was this gamification where if people, when they were watching, decided to donate a certain amount, it would reset him back to $0. The Great Reset. Creators started donating money. He had to go back to zero and it made it harder for him now to get to where he wanted to go. Yeah, so, I mean, I talked to Ryan at length about this prior. He Ryan's a very, very thoughtful creator. Like he had been planning this for a while to the point where he had 30 thumbnails mocked up of things he could do, which was really smart to think about. Like he can wake up in the morning and he can pick from one of these thumbnails. So like one of them was mowing lawns. One of them was Uber Eats. One of them was delivering pizza. So he could like kind of, pick and choose how he wanted to attack that day based on a plan that he had made in advance. From a creator perspective, 
was a really smart take on the daily vlog of planning to a point of, I know this is going to work, this is going to be interesting, but I'm also going to leave room for spontaneity. Now, Ryan also stripped down this production all the way down to him shooting on his iPhone. He had one filmer with him and then one editor, Zach, who was uh, in, a, in a van following them, editing every day. The editor of the summer. The editor of the summer. Zach. Yeah. yeah. So it was Ryan, Zach, and Preston. And that team, over 30 days, took over YouTube. Uh, I think it was on trending every single day, raised a ton of money for Feeding America, I think close to a million or over a million dollars did over 214 million views on the series, added 2.5 million subscribers, and I think really created a series that changed everyone's perspective about what YouTube is right now. It brought back the appointment viewing from the vlogging era, where yeah. every day you wake up and you can't wait to see what happened next. the next day, mm -hmm. right, from the daily vlog era. But he added on a little bit of this challenge genre energy. Mm -hmm. to it. He found this middle ground where it was really interesting. You could tune in, wake up every morning and watch and see what happened. But there was a retention strategy a little bit behind the video, something that yep. would keep you watching to the end. Through line throughout the whole thing. And yeah, it's, it's like the vulnerability and comedy of Emma Chamberlain that Ryan has. Like he has that element to him that's you're watching him. He feels so real and so authentic. And then the, the like retention strategy of a Mr. Beast and, you know, the daily viewing habit of a Casey Neistat daily vlog and all of it came together and you were like, I mean, for me, I was like, you build a habit so simply of when someone does daily content and it's good. Within a week's time, I was like, even if the episode wasn't that great, I had to watch it. Like, even if it was kind of like, okay, he's still in Austin and he's still delivering on Uber Eats or on DoorDash, you just have to watch it. You couldn't miss a day. And that was, was something that, the fact that it took over YouTube and it was shot with an iPhone, not this big budget, he spent $3 million, you know, in a studio doing it. That to me was a moment that kind of brought back that feel of YouTube. And daily vlogging was unsustainable. Unsustainable, yeah. Even from a mental standpoint, because you have no idea as a creator when you're supposed to stop or how long this is going to go. I mean, I don't think we have any more daily vloggers that aren't like pockets of time, right? Like, do we have any more just like people who are just every day putting out a vlog? I'm sure there are, not that I know of, yeah. but for me, this was also showing creators how you can do something daily, do something intense, but have an expectation for yourself and for the audience that it's going to end, that there's an end date to it. So you give it your all while you're doing it and then you take some time off. Yeah. There's a clip from, uh, from our interview, because we actually got to sit down with Ryan two days before he started the Penny series. And this is something he said. I feel like it is a, a natural arc. Like when you're a small town kid and you have a dream of being a YouTuber, you're not gonna be like the most genius person in the world on the platform and like first <laughs> upload, everyone's like, oh, that's insane. <laughs> like you're literally inspired by the people you watch. And so I think it's, it's respectable to get started by being inspired and potentially even copying people just to see like, hey, what does a, an audience think about my yeah. videos? And mm -hmm. what do they think about me? And what did they like about this? But I think it really is actually a disservice to yourself and your potential if you don't ask yourself, like once you kind of get to a, a comfortable position, like who am I? And like, what do what is my vision? And mm -hmm. what is my genius? And what can I provide to this platform that no one's ever seen before? Yeah. And take what I've learned, but also take the torch and go farther. And I think that's like what a lot of people will, you know, might might be doing a disservice to themselves. I agree. Like, I think you have to like reverse engineer concepts. Like yeah. that's what we did when we were kids. I mean, at least for me, I watched movies and I was like, 
let's try and make that scene. Yeah. And you just do it with the constraints you have. And then you're like, oh, that was fun. I learned how to use the camera better. I learned mm-hmm. how to edit better. Right. I learned. You have to have these prompts um, to actually get started. Totally. And I think that clip brings up the premise of like originality on YouTube. And a lot of people looked at Ryan's series and was like, that's, he had an original spin on YouTube. And he did, but it's still based off of, you know, the stuff he saw in the past. I think what Ryan's series led us to was a lot of people doing Ryan's series. Within days of the first episode coming yeah, out. People yeah, people were like, oh, I'm going to do the exact same thing, um, which I think is pretty common on YouTube and at copying thumbnails and copying concepts. And uh, there is a path to monetization. But what Ryan's saying is like, our expectation of creativity in the world that we live in on YouTube should not be that everyone comes out with a completely individual, unique idea. But I think our expectation should be that as you start, like you, you might be copying stuff. You might be trying to figure out, you know, your own voice, but over time you should put your own spin on it. That's the way you're going to break out like someone like Ryan Trahan. All right. June 30th. I remember this very specifically. I was in Paris, France, and I remember seeing this trending and I remember seeing the video uh, that came out and that was the death of Technoblade. June 30th, 2022. Yeah. It was actually the most watched YouTube video of the year. Yeah. And the video has been watched over 88 million times. Technoblade, honestly, I'll say when this day came about, I like felt the somber nature of it and I saw the reaction, but I knew very little about Technoblade. Yeah, agreed. He was a Minecraft streamer regarded to be one of the best, started uploading back in 2013, member of the Dream SMP uh, in 2020. And... At age 23, he died of cancer, and the video that came out on his channel was of his dad. Hi, I'm Technoblade's dad. He wrote a message, and he asked me to read it to all of you. And it was one of the most unique things I've ever seen on YouTube. His dad is kind of struggling to get through the message. It feels surreal. It feels almost like Black Mirror Mm -hmm. in a way, um, that there's someone who's amassed such a large audience that is all of a sudden gone. And you know, his father has taken it upon himself to get onto the channel, something I'm sure he never thought he would do, you know, to like step into your child's world, which I'm sure you're not super familiar with. You know, your son is a streamer of Minecraft, doesn't even go by his own name. What a, yeah. what a strange scenario it must be to like film a video, mm-hmm. something that was probably very uh, comfortable for your son, but not for you. And in the video, he says that, you know, proceeds from YouTube in the future and from merch will pay for his siblings, uh, college. Mm -hmm. And it'll also be donated to the Sarcoma Foundation of America. And in that final video, Technoblade, uh, reveals that his name is actually Alex. Yeah. I mean, he gives a a message to everyone in that video. It's like, it's a very surreal thing to watch on YouTube. The title of the video is also so long nerds, which (laughs) like has a, you know, levity to it. And like this, this feeling of like, you know, he really did love this platform and like the the jokes he had with his community and this relationship he had. Um, but I do think, it, it, you know, the, the vast viewership of this and how big of a moment this was, um, I do think really speaks to the relationships that creators have with their audiences, like the depth of relationships. And to lose someone like that, you know, for that mass audience, like what a big moment that is. So- 
I think it'll be interesting to see how, you know, his family utilizes the channel moving forward, meaning like how they communicate with that group. And it's clear there's still a, a vast community. Dream did a, a stream with his dad to, to raise money. And, and uh, you know, I, th- I think that Technoblade probably will still be a brand that is, you know, that exists in our space. Yeah, it's something that I've never really seen before personally, where you essentially are inheriting a massive TV channel or TV network, mm-hmm. right? You're kind of like left with this pipeline that can reach millions. Right. But the person who's normally there is no longer there. Yeah. It's, it's just, well, it's something that is unwritten right now. We'll yeah. see how it plays out. Yeah. We'll have to see. All right. July 17th, 2022. This was a really impactful thing that happened in the world of comedy, but also in the world of, of content. Andrew Schultz self-releases his comedy special, Infamous. Now, there's a backstory here of why this matters. So let's back up. So the first thing to understand here is that Andrew Schultz originally sold this special to a major streamer. We don't know exactly which one. A lot of speculation. A lot of speculation about which streamer. But he sold it to one of the streaming platforms. And they wanted to censor some of the special. You know, they want us to make some cuts. And we're like, listen, you know, I've had enough of that. And to be at that point and then go, oh, I'm just going to water it down so it can be acceptable. It's like, why we work so hard? Yeah. Why we fucking put all this work in? What's yeah. the point of that? Yeah. Why we sacrifice so much? Why we away every fucking weekend to just put something out that we're like, oh, well, it would have been nicer if I was able to say this or this joke yeah. would have been funnier if I was able to say that. So I want to um, maintain the integrity of the piece. And that took, you know, us buying it back. They wanted things taken out. And for him... You know, someone who self-distributes a ton of his work in exactly the way he wants to distribute it across Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and has grown a fan base for, you know, pushing some of the boundaries and doing things that occasionally make people uncomfortable. That was not something he was willing to do. He was just not willing to compromise and take parts out of the special. So he buys it back from the streamer for $1.2 million and decides to self-distribute using Moment House. Yeah. And the next part of the story is that it did extremely yeah, it well. Went, it went extremely well. Uh, I, I mean, in the first few days, he tripled uh, his investment, meaning over $3 million in the first few days. I know that he crossed $6 million at one point. Uh, but but what was really great was he went on a bunch of podcasts. I mean, he hit us up to, to come on the show. Unfortunately, I was in France at the time. I would have loved to do another episode with him to talk about this. But it was a, it, he went on a bunch of podcasts to tell this story. And what a creator empowerment story this was. Here's the big company who has bought your your thing, who has now, you know, said, you can't do it the way you want to do it. And he's like, I'm an independent creator. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Turns to his audience. His audience says, we support you, Andrew. And they're willing to invest in the special. Now, Schultz also made it pretty clear that, the, that he was eventually going to put the special out on YouTube. So all these people who came in over, you know, I think two, 300,000 people who came to watch his special, you know, had the context that at some point it was probably going to be available, but wanted to support Andrew. And he had this mechanism in, in Moment House, was able to, to really promote this release as a creator empowerment story. But now when you think about Schultz, what he learned from this was his true value, his true worth. Like the next time a streamer wants to come to Andrew Schultz and buy his comedy special, not going to be for $1.25 million. I'll tell you that. And I think something that we talked about a long time ago when it came to pay-per-view content 
is that your audience will value you at a higher rate than anyone else. Uh, especially advertisers. There's nobody else who's going to value you at that rate. And that's something that if, if you're building a true community, if you're building a true audience, your audience will value you at the highest rate out of any consumer. So someone like Schultz, who, who has really done a great job coming onto YouTube and building a substantial audience this year, I think this was the culmination of that. This was the showcase of like, he really has built an audience. We also saw this with Yes Theory. Mm -hmm. They made their film Project Iceman about doing an Ironman in Antarctica. Uh, we went and saw the film. It was incredible. But they too were offered a deal from a streaming platform for $1.25 million and they turned it down. Again, because they were concerned about creative control and went to their audience, raised the money themselves, self have done a theater run, an entire tour across like the US and Canada and Europe of debuting and premiering their film. And now you can watch their film in Cinemark theaters all over the US. Yeah, and it, you know, really financed by their audience, which is super cool. And maybe eventually a streamer will buy it. Right. You know, it's the same film, but you're just distributing it uh, at, with levels mm -hmm. at different rates to different audiences. Yeah, so I mean, Schultz has now, since then, put out the special on YouTube. And the special has over 10 million views on YouTube. So he got, to, he got the best of both worlds here. If this went out onto a streamer, he would have made less money and less people would have seen it. Isn't that interesting? Doing it independently, he made more money and more people have seen his work. That's a creator empowerment story that I think will take us into 2023 as creators start to evaluate and understand like same thing that we talked about with Mark Rober. When Mark Rober is talking about Jimmy Kimmel. And he's like, I, we should do a TV show together. Yeah, he yeah. expected me to be like, of course. Yeah. But he didn't understand, and we've had a lot of conversations. He's come to, I mean, it took like three long phone calls from him to convince me to even like, yeah, let's let's explore this because it's like, I'll make way less money, fewer people will see it, and I won't have full creative control. Where do I sign, Jimmy? Yeah. Like, this yeah. sounds amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's the reality now of like, we lived in a world where, you know, a lot of the goal was come onto YouTube and then move on to a traditional platform, go to TV, go to film, get a deal with a big streamer, make something for Netflix. Now I think that the dream is a little bit different. It's a little bit like have a lot of people see my stuff and make a lot of money. Well, I think also it's it's similar to what Hassan said about how YouTube is the new home for unscripted content. Mm, yeah. And streamers are the home for scripted premium content. Yeah. Right? So that, mm -hmm. you know, unscripted content means comedy shows. It means even like late night right? Like late night in a way is like unscripted. It's not narrative. And it's true home is pretty much YouTube. Like yeah. YouTube is the place for all unscripted content. Yep. All right. Now, as we get to midsummer, midsummer, right? Midsummer, a midsummer's night's dream. July 28th, <laughs> 2022, number nine, Mr. Beast hits a hundred million subscribers and passes PewDiePie to become the biggest creator on YouTube. Biggest individual creator yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, you know what's amazing is that since then, Mr. Beast, now his main channel has 117 million subscribers. Like the pace at which he's growing is so shocking. It, it's insane. And at 100 million, he did not cross PewDiePie. He crossed PewDiePie at 111 million. But at 100 million, I mean, it was just like so substantial that this guy has crossed 100 million subscribers as an independent creator. 
as a channel that started with someone uploading from his bedroom. And I feel like Jimmy is showing us like the, the scale of how many people are on the platform. For me, I gauge by Jimmy, right? Like I was, I was showing it to my my brother-in-law um, recently and he was like, how many people watch this guy, Mr. Beast? And I just went to Jimmy's channel and like, it's like a hundred million people are watching these videos. And you start to think like, wait, that many people are on YouTube? Then you go to his most watched video and has three over 300 million views. And you're like, wait, that many people are on this platform? Like what, where, where is the end? What's, what are the boundaries of this platform? How many subscribers can someone get? I actually think there's two parts to this story. There's him crossing a lot of milestones this year. Okay. Of course, launching uh, Mr. Beast Burger, just announced a partnership with Nerf. He yep. had the Squid Game video. So he also was creator of the year. Mm -hmm. Again, that's one side of the story. But the other one was, I think, the term Mr. Beastification. Mm. Like this was the first year that people were saying that. And when they said Mr. Beastification, they meant that people are copying him. Yeah, and can we level set here? I'm pretty positive we were the first ones to say that. Were we? On our show. Yeah, it, it, people started saying that after our episode with Ryan Trahan when we asked him, what do you think about the Mr. Beastification of YouTube? And that started a wave of, of people, I think, starting to question, should the, the YouTube meta be this challenge genre? Should he be the guiding light that right. a new young creator looks at and says, well, that's success on the platform. That's what I should do. And I think even from Jimmy's perspective, like Jimmy is massive on the platform. He also gives a lot of mentorship and advice to creators. He calls us and tells us what's wrong with our thumbnails sometimes, or that something is wrong and that we could be getting a lot more viewership. He does want the best for a lot of creators, but he doesn't want you to copy him exactly. You know, he's not calling and being like, do exactly that what I do. And I think even for him, like it's, it's, it's a lot that he's become the the end all be all the like everyone just watches whatever he does and then does that exactly. And I, I feel like that, that conversation paired with Ryan Trahan's penny series and paired with a few other things that happened. I do think that there are now people understanding that that's not the only way to grow on YouTube is to like put people in a circle or get people on an Island and do some challenge where you have loads of money on the line. Like I feel like this year he went out of the 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 league of the other creators, right? Where it's like, sure, you can do similar stuff. You could probably get a couple million views doing similar stuff. But like where he's going now feels more akin to like what we're talking about with the Emma Chamberlains of the world, the Logan Pauls. Like he's he's his own thing. Like he's he's on the cover of Forbes. You know, like he's he's moving into a new category now. But I think specifically with Mr. Beastification, it was really the first time where a thumbnail style and a format became oversaturated on the platform mm. where you started going through browse and everything looked kind of the same. Yeah, that's true. Imagine you log into Netflix and everything looks like love is blind. Right. Like it's all kind of the same show. That would be frustrating. How do you know what to pick? Yeah, How do yeah. you know what's quality, what's yeah. not? And I think we got to a point on YouTube where depending on your watch habits and the creators, if you watch challenge creators, everything could look the same. Mm -hmm. True. Which is just like not healthy for the platform. No. And I think it's not not healthy for audiences. It's not like, uh, it's not an it, enjoyable way to consume YouTube as a whole. Yeah, it's almost like what stood out was not using Jimmy in a thumbnail or Jimmy style thumbnail, right? Like yeah. what stood out was 
when it was like really raw thumbnails because you're like, whoa, that's different now. And what when Jimmy first started, it was like, that's different what he's doing. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's like become such a saturated aesthetic. Yeah, but a lot of people made, you know, careers off of that. I would say like a, a lot of our defining videos on our channel were all collaborations with Jimmy. 100%. You know? Yeah. And those are like the defining moments. And I think everything we've done that's covered Mr. Beast has expanded far outside of our subscriber base. Yeah. Because again, he's like such a vast topic mm -hmm. in himself, which is crazy. And every time that happens, we reach new people. Some of those people subscribe and stick around for when we talk about everyone else. Yeah. I think yeah. for us next year, it's really going to be about diversifying the stories and the creators that we talk about. We've kind of like gotten to a point where we have this sizable group of people mm -hmm. who I think trust and are interested in what we cover. Yeah. What we cover. Yeah. 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 I mean, now just to, 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 as we get into September and our next uh, topic, I do want to give a shout out. We did it earlier in the show, but to the Sidemen charity football match. Uh, to me, it was like one of the craziest things I've seen on YouTube, primarily because it was so impressive that they packed a stadium. And why were they so good at soccer? And that they were so good at soccer. Like it was like Carl Jacobs all of a sudden is yeah, like, he's like doing a, you know, on his back. Yeah. Kicking the ball. I was like, I don't even know what I'm watching here. It's crazy. But Since it was, when did these guys learn how to play soccer? It was so entertaining. And as the World Cup is going on right now, you start to recognize like World Cup has a lot of stakes. It's really fun. You know, you watch Brazil and Brazil lost today, which was very sad. But like, I know Neymar on Brazil. I don't know every single player on the Brazilian team. But when you watch the Sidemen Charity football match, you knew everyone on the field. You have, you know, I show speed sprinting and tackling KSI. You have Mr. Beast. Like, it's like bizarro world. It's bizarro world. It's strange. But you they had, pulled you, it off. You had like mini minor, like go around Mr. Beast and like nail this crazy shot. And like the, the sidemen or sorry, the announcers are like calling all their names. It's such a strange thing. Stadium was packed. Production was dynamite. Like sports times creators, huge opportunity. Uh, obviously we saw it with boxing, but I think like more events that are filled with creators next year, we will definitely see that. Just wait for the creator lacrosse game. <laughs> That'd be crazy. Uh, By the way, so many creators play lacrosse. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, to, I'm joking, but not joking because dude, weirdly I, everyone's favorite creator played lacrosse. Yeah, for sure. You, uh, just, I mean, you just may not know it. FaZe Banks was on Impulsive and saying that he quit lacrosse to pursue YouTube. And I was like, What? I mean, Eric played lacrosse. He watched yep. the lacrosse he, network. Yeah, he watched it. us. Wow, so weird. All right. This, for me personally, was a massive moment this year. And, and that was Casey Neistat's return to New York City and to YouTube. I mean, yeah, especially in a way that feels authentic and consistent. Because over the past two years, Casey would kind of come back on for a video here and there. Yeah. But you could tell it was not going to last. And now for the first time, it feels like he's back in a real flow telling stories that he truly, really, really cares about and they're resonating. And again, this one's very personal to you and I, because I think, you know, when we started out making videos on YouTube, we didn't know about Casey Neistat, but then eventually we did. And it sort of shifted our perspective as to the possibilities. The fact that you could tell stories about your everyday life, you could make them interesting and that that could be a career. You know, that for us was a ground shaking moment back in. 2013, 2014, mm -hmm. even before he was vlogged for the first time, did the daily vlog. For sure. I mean, before Mr. Beast, the platform was inspired by Casey Neistat. You know, Logan and Jake Paul both talk about their vlogging uh, was heavily, was uh, not heavily, 100% based on the fact that Casey was vlogging. Um, I think a lot of creators, Eric, when we talked to him, his initial inspiration for YouTube was Casey Neistat. Like, 
almost everyone that we've talked to in the space has been inspired by Casey Neistat. And again, he was the guy before Mr. Beast. Like he was YouTube. Um, and I think his return, having him be so successful on his return has been really cool to see. It's one of the first times we've seen someone take a break and then just come back and like be bigger than they were. Uh, but also, you know, the fact that his style and his energy is back on the platform is opening up, I think, people's minds to being like, oh yeah, it's not all challenge videos. You can also like make cool videos about your life. I think he's bigger from a viewership perspective if you compare it to the daily vlog era. Sure, like he's but actually not doing culturally. more, yeah. but I don't know if culturally, because how YouTube has evolved, like it, it, there are so many more creators, there's so many more pockets that you can be found in mm -hmm. or that you can exist in. But for us, it's huge having him back and truly mm -hmm. like being so excited every time he uploads. There's sometimes where I watch his videos and I feel um, angry and that anger is really jealousy because I, I look at him and I'm like, if I could be any creator, it would be Casey because I'm like his ability to, to make videos that are so cool and so interesting and this ability to even like orate to a camera, like his, how articulate he is when he talked about Kanye West and that situation where it's a 13 minute video with no cuts. He's able to do that on the same channel that he does, you know, a highly edited vlog and the same channel where he's also like, you know, building in his studio. I think he's, he's, um, yeah. I mean, I'm just such a big fan of his that I, I think like having him back has, has kind of reinvigorated that the creativity in me, that's, you know, not just attached to a retention graph or to like, what's going to work, but also like, oh, expressing yourself and, and making cool shit on this platform is also part of it. Yeah, he doesn't subscribe to that many rules. Yeah. And he put out a video where he just reads a Twitter thread from Elon Musk. Yeah. It's three minutes long. Yeah. He just, whatever he thinks is interesting or that he cares about or that's conversational, he'll make a video about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you never get the feeling right now that he's making a video he has to make. He's totally. only doing things he wants to do. Totally. And yeah, that is refreshing. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me a lot of Ryan Trahan's talking about redemptive work yeah. versus exploitative mm -hmm. and how he just wants to put things into the world that uh, almost like offer an opportunity for redemption. Is that it? Redemption? Should we just play Ryan's clip? Yeah, sure. Let's play Ryan's clip. Okay. Our motto for this year is redemptive work. And basically what that means is, yeah, like creating restoration in people's lives mm -hmm. rather than essentially trying to get views to make profit. And there's exploitative work and there's redemptive work. And I feel like YouTube inherently is exploitative. Yeah. Like retention, you can exploit that. You can mm. exploit people's tendencies to stay if you do this and that. Or you can make the, the storyline something that is literally actively energizing them and making them think about what their perspectives are and adding to their lives. And so it's crazy how you can, you can have the same outcome with the two. Yeah. But just the idea that you're truly giving the audience value, you're making them mm -hmm. feel good. You're not exploiting the platform yeah. for viewership. I think the way Ryan put that is, is really important. Like exploitation as a word feels dirty and bad and recognizing when you're like, Oh, I can very easily figure out how to get a million views by doing this one thing that does, if that is not like the excitement inside of you of like, I want to express this thing. It's such different incentives for why you're making a YouTube video. And I think, I hope that we can come back 
you know, a lot to that too, of, of exploring next year of like, I actually just want to make this video cause I want to make this video, um, you know, and, 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 and not fully always be like, we're going to make this video cause it's going to work. We're going to make this video, you know, cause we, we like for a business purpose, but I do think we're lucky that we have found a format where we can be ourselves on camera. Yeah. And like, I can be my authentic, interested, excited self about this world on camera. Um, I don't have to play a character, which I'm so grateful for that we found that format. Speaking of characters. Here we go. Now, October 2nd, 2022. Technically, this is number 11, so we've gone past 10. Yeah, I mean, we've thrown a couple others in the mix, so who's, who's counting? Number 11, Dream's face reveal. Hi, my name is Clay, otherwise known as Dream. Dream, the Minecraft streamer, did a face reveal. It has 48 million views. <laughs> That's so crazy. Uh, his reason being that, you know, he just wanted to have more IRL experiences. He wanted to hang out with his friends. Mm -hmm. He was so behind closed doors and there was so much mystery about who he was that it was affecting his life. Yeah. And he had to make a decision here to reveal his face, but it became this thing that was trending wildly across Twitter, not only on the day that it happened, but in the lead up. Yeah. This, this felt like larger than life. Um, he, he's like a genius marketer and- we made a video about this on our channel. I, I would highly recommend it if you're if you haven't watched it yet, um, just to understand like our perspective on his his marketing strategy. But like the days leading up on Twitter, he was FaceTiming other creators and showing them his face. And this concept of like Dream's face had been so much pent up energy for years. Like people wanted to see this guy's face for years. And um, when this happened. I watched the live stream and I was nervous. I don't know why I was nervous, but I was tuned in and I was like, what's this dude's face going to look like? And, and and the ability to like build so much hype and mystique around this character dream um, was really impactful. I remember my sister-in-law texted me and was like, she knows nothing about the, the YouTube space, but she was like, you're going to need to explain to me this whole dream thing next week. And again, back to the top of the episode, this explosive growth outside of just YouTube and the creator world, this dream face reveal felt like a moment where a lot of people were talking about this who had no interest in YouTube or in Minecraft even. But they were like, I know this is a big deal. Everyone is talking about this thing. And at the same time, I think as large as this went, it was rooted in the most human thing, which was like, I don't want my life to just be online and I don't want to hide behind this mask anymore. I want to, I want to be able to show my face and hang out with my friends. And I think that is this moment where you're recognizing like in the video, we play this clip from a Ted talk and talk about the difference between digital experiences and quote unquote IRL experiences. And this concept that, you know, IRL or in real life is a different place than the digital world. And it's actually not. And the advice that we give to a lot of creators is think about the content that you want to make in the context of how you want your physical or your real life to be, the communities that you want to be a part of, the people you want to hang out with, because the content that you make online leads you directly to having a different or, you know, an, an, an enhanced physical life to connect with people. So I loved that this moment was so big, but also rooted in something that's such a simple human emotion. And right, I got one more. Uh-oh, Colin. November. Who's counting? 2022. Okay. Charlie D'Amelio wins Dancing with the Stars. Mm. Now, I know we have conflicting thoughts about this. You and I have conflicting thoughts. Are we going to go down this path? Basically, to sum it up, I think that even though she is 
a professional dancer. She should be on the show. This was her opportunity to prove herself that mm -hmm. she's not just a TikTok dancer, that she can really, you know, hold her own mm -hmm. with professionals who do it on a consistent basis. Yeah. Because she is a creator. She's not actually like a professional dancer. So I think it makes perfect sense. She's on the show. She wins. Samir has some issues with that. I, I, he thinks this, she was maybe too good to this join is, the show. This is what I feel like. It's like if you and I had a competition of who can learn Hindi the fastest. It's like, I already have an upper hand. I know a lot of it. I grew up around it. Like I could learn it faster than you. Look, some people are more well-suited to win a competition than others, no matter what, you know? But the base premise is that there's professional dancers and ordinary people. But the ordinary people don't need to be equally bad at dancing. That's not the rules. Gotcha. I don't know. I don't gotcha. know. No, no. But anyway, uh, all I'm know, saying man. here is that I think uh, Charlie D'Amelio and the D'Amelio family had kind of a transcendent year mm -hmm. with their Hulu show and then with her and her mom being on Dancing with the Stars, where they also are going way post-platform, similar to, similar to Emma Chamberlain, mm. where people will tune in to their show on Hulu. They'll watch them and become fans of them on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. And her name is a household name. It's yeah, not necessarily I mean, about what she's creating on a daily basis. You heard the way we said it at the streamies. And the streamie goes, goes to Charlie D'Amelio. Yep. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, I just wanted mm -hmm. to bring that back up. Yep. That, that clip will live with us forever now, Colin. All right. That's what we thought some of the biggest moments were of 2022. I'm sure we missed some. So if you guys have a perspective on what you thought were some of the biggest moments of 2022, Chime in. Let us know on Twitter. You can tweet at us at Colin and Samir. You can also put it in our subreddit, r slash Colin and Samir. Let us know what your thoughts were on this episode. And again, in closing, our merch is live. Press publish dot shop. Use code PODSQUAD for a surprise discount. Colin, anything else? Thanks, everybody. All right. See you next week. Woo!